this is one of those occasions when we need to just get right into the episode. We need to get right to the story because the story of this weekend is a good one. There's a lot of things that happened at Sonny King, the king of all crits, that need to be talked about, and we're a month into the season, so let's take a look at what's happened during the first month. There's no reason for me to try to dance around it. I'm not feeling 100%. I'm actually skipping Boise this weekend because I've been really under the weather for the last two days, and my energy's not there. I just don't have what it takes to go and compete against the best in the country. So I'm going to sit it out. That being said, I want to give you guys 100% of what I've got. I want to give you guys and my voice specifically everything that it needs in order to get to the finish line here, just like Harriet Owen got to the finish line at Sunny King. Isn't that a great segue? My name is Rob Kelly. This is Criterium Nation, a show about life lived one corner at a time. The Wide Angle Podium, the place where this show is a part of, wideanglepodium.com is the home for it. Go there. Please become a subscriber. Join up. Find out all the great things that's going on at the Wide Angle Podium. If you want to see the power rankings for this week, they are now part of the CX Hairs Bulletin, which is a substack. You've got to sign up for it. But it's good stuff. There's more detail than what we would just read out here on the show. And there's also more detail than you would just find on Instagram. We're still going to continue to put it on Instagram because we really enjoy when people tell us that our power rankings don't properly factor in the X and the Y that would put Connor Saley up front this specific week. So wideanglepodium.com, go there, check it all out. On top of that, we are brought to you by Source Endurance, source-e.net. It's a full range coaching service that I use, that Justin Williams uses, Corey Williams, Dante Young, Whitney Allison. There are a lot of great athletes who use it and who are part of this. In fact, Adam Mills, the coach of Source Endurance and owner, one of the coaches of Source Endurance and owner, recently told me he has had a national champ within the coaching company every year since seven or eight years ago. So there is a litany and history of success with Source Endurance, and we want you to become a part of that history and become a part of that success. So go to source-e.net, find the coaching services that you like, the ones that you want, nutrition, endurance athletics, the whole nine yards, sign up and use the promo code Criterium Nation. That's all one word, Criterium Nation, at checkout for $50 off. So the Crit Squad is back. Alan's here. Celine is here. We are going to talk Sonny King. We are going to talk the 4th of July. We're going to talk all about that first month of bike racing in 2021. And we're doing it right now. I'm remembering the infamous flu-like symptoms game of the 97 NBA Finals. It was like June of 97. Jordan and the Bulls were in their second set of three, repeat or three-peat, repeat or repeat, three-peat. And they went to Salt Lake City for game five. And there was this incident where Jordan was reporting flu-like symptoms. 
It turns out if you watch The Last Dance, he thinks that he was purposefully food poisoned by fans of the Utah Jazz. But in that game, he played out of his mind, but you could tell that he was completely wasted by the effort. You know, the 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 embrace with him and Scottie Pippen towards the end of it just showed exactly how exhausted he was. The reason I bring that up is not to draw a comparison between me and Michael Jordan, but like I am definitely not at 100% today. I came down with a, a little bit of a cold, so if my voice sounds any different than normal, that's what's going on. My energy is... I'm trying, man. I'm trying. But the good news is, is that I have not just one Scotty Pippen. I've got two Scotty Pippins in Celine Oberholzer, and I've got two Dennis Rodmans in Alan Schroeder. Guys, how's it going, Alan? Tell us how Boise is. Is it exciting to be there in the in the eve of the Boise Twilight crit? Ooh, yes. The buildup to Boise Twilight is always exciting for me, I guess, or for people that are around here. That being said, it is super hot this week. We're definitely still in this like Pacific Northwest heat bubble or heat dome is what they call it. Uh, but I guess that just means that I'll have a leg up on everybody when they get here because I'll be used to riding in 106 degrees, which is what it is today. Because I'm confident, Celine, it is not 106 degrees in San Marcos, Texas, is it? It's not 106, but um, the humidity, I think, makes it a bit of an adaptation nevertheless. So, like, it's 90, feels like 99, but... We have humidity advisories like every day. So I'm honestly really looking forward to 106 with uh, dry conditions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my uh, phone weather just permanently has the excessive heat warning on it just every day. It's hard to look at after a while. Welcome welcome to living in D.C. in the summer where it's just always a heat advisory, a heat advisory and a <laughs> thunderstorm just waiting to happen. Uh, on my ride home the other day, Last week, I saw the thunderstorm in front of me, and you know when you can see it, and it's where you need to go. Right. It's like between the storms between you and it. You're just like, uh, how do I game this? How do I game it? Speaking of gaming it, you know, Celine, top 10 at Tour of America's Dairyland and the overall. Congrats to you. Ow, ow. <laughs> but I think the story here, not just is, is Celine's solo dominance, but the dominance of Skylar Schneider. The Milwaukee native herself goes five for five, five wins over five days with a warm-up day where she got third. So six straight days on the podium. That is incredible. Celine, was she just that much better than everybody else? I mean, yeah, she's in a league of her own. It's worth mentioning the results, but also worth mentioning that she took just about every big money preem as well. So she didn't just sit in there and then nail the finish. She just kind of destroyed everybody every single day consistently. The interesting thing, and in, in obviously at the end of this episode, we're planning on talking about what we've kind of learned over the first month of this crit season. But since we're talking about Skylar and that race up at Toad, and we'll also talk about Harriet Owen and her race and Sonny King, is the amount of money that those two women brought in over a very short period of time. The reports are, and I haven't confirmed this with Skylar, that she brought in like close to $20,000 in preems and prize money for five or six days of racing. And Olivia 
came away from Sonny King with like $2,000 for one day's worth of work. I'm confident W-2s have been filled out for all of these and, and the IRS is completely, you know, informed of all their race winnings. But like, at, even by lawyer numbers, <laughs> like billing $20,000 over a six day period, that's, that's, that's a lot of work. You know, that's amazing. It's almost an entire Bitcoin. <laughs> almost an entire Bitcoin. What were you going to say, Celine? I was just going to say it is pretty incredible. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's it's nuts. She really is in a league of her own. And Olivia crushing it at uh, Sunny King was pretty awesome to see since she's coming back from a broken ankle not too long ago. A broken ankle with a plate and screws. So it's not just like right. I broke my ankle playing basketball and I'm going to let it heal in a boot. This is like there was surgery and now she's back. So let's talk. Here's the plan of the show. So so everybody's on board. We're going to lay out kind of, you know, what happened at Sonny King, hashtag King of All Crits in Anniston, Alabama, last Saturday night in the men's and women's race. And then we're going to talk about what we've learned for the first month. Typically, the 4th of July is considered by some air quotes here to be the halfway point of the season. Um, it's not the halfway point of this season because we're super, you know, back end loaded with races into late September, but it's definitely worth checking in over what's happened over this kind of historic one month period of races that included, you know, armed forces, Tulsa, the national championships, two of America's Dairyland, Sonny King. There's a lot to talk about and a lot of things that we we've learned because we didn't have anything in 2020. So let's start with Sonny King here and talk about what is different this year for Sonny King than most. None of us, none of the three of us actually went to Sonny King this year. It just wasn't in the cards. But the good thing was is that they live streamed the event and it was a top quality live stream. Brad Soner, Lauren Tucker Hall, both on the call, lots of extra added you know, information and benefit to us, including a little bit of karma maybe from Brad Soner with Michael Hernandez where Brad started talking about crashing and Michael almost bit it, you know, slid out in one of the corners right as he's talking. Please, Brad, don't jinx the really great guys anymore, please. You know, what was different about this race is that normally it's in April. And April in Alabama is totally different weather than is, than is July in Alabama. So this change in and of itself obviously has an impact on the dynamics and it's going to have an impact on dynamics this week at Boise. So, you know, Alan, you're the guy who's coming from what typically is not the hot, hot climate to the hotter climates like Knoxville for road nationals or for, you know, Tulsa. What are the things that you had to do to get ready to confront high humidity and high heat that these people who were going into Sonny King would have also had to do? Uh, you, you know, I think when we're all really um, dedicated, there are a few things you can do just like, you know, wearing your thermals out when you're out on easy rides. Um, there's been some talk that if you sit in saunas directly after your training rides, that there's going to be some heat ad adaptations that happen there. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, the easiest thing you can do and what I did before Tulsa and Knoxville was really just try and do some of my more like zone two, just endurance rides, 
even if it was already pretty warm out, you know, wearing a sweatshirt or my my thermal bib tights for the wintertime. Frank Cundiff actually led on to me that he's following the Zach Gregg model from Project Echelon, where he spends 20, 30 minutes in a 114 degree sauna every every night or two, three nights a week. He has a gym membership so he can go do sit ups in sauna. That's the Frank Cundiff gym membership. <laughs> sit ups in sauna. I, I, like Celine. Celine, you're coming from, you know, a hot weather environment already with San Marcos. So, you know, I'm, I, I'm confident that you don't need to do as much adapting. But the ad- adaptation that you do need to do is about who's going to be at that race. Because we all need to think about who, the fa- who to factor in for the race. Sonny King was not Tulsa. That's not a knock on Sonny King. It's just it didn't have the same depth of field. DNA was not there. Your own team, Wolfpack, was not there. You know, CWA was definitely there. Rachel Langdon and Harriet Owen of InstaFund were there. When you get into a race like Sonny King, where there are one or two large teams, in this case, CWA and Colavita HelloFresh, as the rider who doesn't have a lot of teammates, so say you're the Harriet Owen or you're the Olivia Ray or the Paige Bauer from Automatic Racing. What are the things that these women are looking at that they need to do in order to be ready to face off against six CWA girls or four Colavita HelloFresh women? Well, I think the main thing is that as an individual, you aren't really obligated to do any work. So if one of the teams with six riders goes on the attack. It's the other team with multiple riders responsibility to bring that back. And I mean, obviously if you're a solo rider and you feel really motivated, then sure, by all means you can put in more work, but you are by no means obligated. Same as if you're in a breakaway, for example, and there are multiple riders from the same team there as the solo rider, you're at a disadvantage. So the less work you can do, the better that's going to work out. And we saw that again and again and again at Sunny King with Harriet and her teammate, Rachel Langdon. CWA would launch typically with Daniele or with Emily Ehrlich, two of their more long distance threats. And Harriet and Rachel would latch on. I mean, that was like, that was the game plan for everybody. And and you didn't see Harriet or Rachel taken big heavy pulls with their CWA counterparts. That's just strategy. That's just how it works. Absolutely. Yeah. And they're both really intelligent riders, um, obviously as demonstrated by their consistent results. And because Harriet has a really reliable sprint at the end, that's even less reason for her to work in a breakaway. The course, Alan, you got your wish. It is a figure... Uh, four-corner crit. It is not a perfect four-corner crit in the sense that it's not an exact rectangle. And there is a little bit of elevation change. I love that I'm talking with my hands on a podcast, but there is a little bit of elevation change on the straightaway, the long straightaways, which makes it interesting, which gives it a little bit of extra added flavor so that it's not like a pure speed course like, you know, Lafayette Park or Harlem Skyscraper, which are just bone flat. So you go into America's Crit, hashtag, 
Uh, and you've got this four corner crit, which in the women's race has a pretty wide space in the men's race. That space starts to narrow just by virtue of the, the greater speed that the men were carrying around. There were also a lot more men on the course than there were women, but we have the result here. Harriet Owen wins Emily Ehrlich from CWA in second and Rachel Langdon from Instafund in third. The name that we didn't mention in there is Olivia Ray. She ended up wide angle podium in fifth place. Christina Goki Smith was in fourth place from Colavita HelloFresh, so that's the full wide angle. But I get the feeling that Olivia wasn't happy with that. And I, I get it that her strategy probably didn't play out the way she wanted to because she really got boxed in there at the end. Cause the race, it just it came down to a field sprint. There was no way around it. Came down to really like a two two corner sprint for that matter. Um, Olivia looked like she really got boxed in. I think it was something you really don't see a lot. You know, normally if there's like three or four people, it'll be kind of like a track sprint where everybody's just kind of going slowly. To be honest, um, but yeah, like for this women's race with two corners to go, they were like seven women wide, which was pretty crazy to see. And then Harriet and Rachel just made their move at the right time to kind of get around everybody. And yeah, Rachel gave her the perfect like two corner lead out. And then it was just drag race. Yeah. And Harriet's going to win a drag race against most women in the crit field. Most of the time, there are a few women out there who are world-class sprinters like Harriet, Skylar Schneider, for example, maybe Kendall Ryan, who can go toe to toe with Harriet when Harriet's on form. And what I, we may or may not be the arbiters of backness. That might be Zach Schuster and the media pick guys, but maybe we can borrow it for here. Harriet obviously suffered from concussion syndrome for a long time this year. But when you look at what she did at Toad, especially in the latter half where it was podium after podium after podium, and then to come into Sunny King and win, Celine. Is Harriet back? I mean, I don't know that she was ever really gone. Like she immediately was getting really good results and doing a lot of work, helping out Rachel. They help each other really well. Um, and I think the big difference between Harriet going into Sunny King and Olivia going into Sunny King is that Instafun's been racing. Like they were at uh, Tulsa, they were at Toad and to be honest, like the last few laps of the women's races have done exactly what you described, where it's like seven wide all of a sudden. And it's really confusing because it's like the last lap and you'd think it would just be pinned because um, that, I mean, that would make sense, but sometimes it just isn't. And I think Rachel and Harriet experienced that day after day at Toad. And so they knew how to respond to it because they'd been experiencing it. Whereas Olivia might not have known that that was the moment to go. She might've been waiting for someone else to go. Um, and that doesn't always work out because then you're stuck in the washing machine and boxed in, which is exactly what happened, unfortunately. Olivia likes to play it from the back of the field. She is a normally two thirds of the way back of the field rider in a non-technical crit. We saw her play that to her advantage multiple times. She walked away with $2,000, mostly in preems, and she won those without much contest. In fact, I think only once in going after the preem did she have to get out of the saddle. 
And in that instance, she launched herself from the very, very back. And it was like, it was as if somebody just got up behind her and shoved her. That's how much her acceleration came from the power that she has. So we all know that she's got it. Here's my question. And it comes from the men's racing at Tulsa Tough. And it comes from a critique that I heard of Tom Gibbons of Automatic Racing from the first night of Tulsa at the Blue Dome was that Tom went for an early an early preem in Blue Dome. He didn't end up getting it. And a lot of people pointed that out as an error on his part because he showed his cards to Justin and Corey, to Travis McCabe, to Danny Estevez, to all the guys on Elevate, to everybody. They saw how Tom sprinted right then and there. That's been the critique that was leveled. I don't know if I buy it, if that is a valid critique of like, well, you can't go after a preem because you're going to tip your hand of how your sprint is going to look later on to your other competitors. You know, Celine, you're the closest thing to a sprinter among the three of us. Alan and I are definitely uh, much more adept at breakaway riding. But, you know, either of you... Putting it generously. Yeah. Either of you, like, do you think that that is, is valid? That, you know, we should... The top-end sprinters need to hold back and, and not show their cards until the very end. I mean, I don't think that anybody should be discouraged from going for sprints or going for preems because it could give something away to your competitors, but it's definitely something to be aware of because people in the peloton who might be like observing that could definitely learn something and be like, oh, they went really early. I noticed that they started to maybe lose it at the end. So maybe that's not the spot to go from in the end. And so learning from somebody else's mistakes or somebody else's successes throughout the race is very valuable information. So on the one hand, yes, I think people could learn from that and it might hinder you from doing that same exact move again. But at the same time, like if it works, it works. And if you're just that good in a sprint, like there's not very much that anyone else can do. Now, Alan, have you ever made the deal in the breakaway where it's three or four of you guys and they ring the preem lap and you just look around at each other and you're like, guys, we're in a break. We've got 15, 20 seconds. Let's all just all split this. Uh, yeah, it depends on if it's a, if it's a money preem or like a lot of the races I've done, you know, they're giving out sunglasses or a bottle of wine or something. If it's a money preem, then everybody's usually pretty down to just split it. But if it's like a product preem, then uh, it's a lot harder to uh, to to make that deal with everybody. I don't know if it's a bottle. If it's a bottle of wine, four glasses can go pretty far. That's a good point. Yeah, I, I've never used that angle with anybody before, but I definitely will next time. <laughs> Do you think we all know that bike racing owns Labor Day weekend, Gateway Cup? It, it bike racing owns that weekend Memorial Day weekend to a certain extent there are traditional races that are very very popular that weekend like Somerville or the Quad Cities crits you know but the 4th of July weekend is not been a weekend that there's been a lot of racing on we've all we know about Fitchburg obviously up in you know New England that has traditionally fallen on the 4th but like do we just call neutral 
on the 4th of July weekend? Or do we need to go back to the drawing board and say like, okay, if we're going to do this, let's do this X, Y, and Z. Uh, I think so. You know, watching the live stream, the first thing that kind of strikes you is how few spectators they were, especially coming, you know, from the Tulsa weekend and nationals. And I definitely wonder how much of that is due to the 4th of July weekend. You know, if it's anything like Boise, people usually take that weekend to go and go camping or go visit family or stuff like that. So being in town isn't usually on top of their like to do list. Yeah. So I think in that way, there definitely might have been kind of a negative impact by having it on the 4th of July. Now, D.C., everybody bugs out of town, too. I don't know where they go. Maybe they go to the Outer Banks. Maybe they go to the Jersey Shore. I'm not really sure. I normally stick around because I love D.C. in August when all the tourists and Europeans are gone. And I also love D.C. on the holidays because, you know, my family mostly live in the area. So it's not like I have to go very far and I get these empty, wide open streets. But empty, wide open streets aren't what we want in a crit. We want the packed crowds. We want people there. I know Anniston, Alabama rolled out the carpet, the red carpet, that is, for the teams. They had dinners before and after the race. They had a lot of events. I know that that is kind of a, a pattern that's developing for some other events that are coming later in the year, too, where there's a lot of civic involvement. The 4th of July weekend is a civic involvement weekend you know, the, the bandshell gazebo type thing. That is what the 4th of July always says. What is it that we need to do to, you know, kind of not necessarily redirect people? Because if you're going to go camping, you're going to go camping. Knock yourself out. I don't understand it. My idea of camping is, you know, the garden variety Hilton, not the, you know, Biltmore level. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a man of the people, guys. Uh, you know, but for those who stay in town, you know, what are the things that promoters, race organizers and whatnot can say to the local community of like, hey, we want to, you know, close down the street here and we're going to turn it into a big block party. This is how we're going to get people in. Celine, Texas style. Tell us how it works. I mean, if there's food and beverages, people tend to get drawn to that and the whole party atmosphere. So like maybe, I mean, I don't know, setting off fireworks uh after the race or something i don't know if that would be legal there i don't know what alabama's laws are regarding fireworks but yeah just generating like you said a block party vibe where even if people have zero interest in bike racing that they have fun being there in the presence of the race and then they ultimately get drawn in and end up cheering and maybe they become fans of bike racing just from being there but yeah something like that. Why don't we switch, talk about the men's race here under the lights in Anniston, Alabama. And it was the fireworks. I kind of, you know, maybe that's an analogy. I'm not sure. It was the race that we had hoped would happen. It was, in my opinion, the most dynamic men's race of the year so far. The attacks were there. The team aspect was there, but not in a singular dominating fashion like Legion had put in at Tulsa or like Best Buddies did at Amateur Crit Nats, where it was just 35 miles an hour on the front, try and come around us sort of thing. You know, Alan, is this what's going to happen? Legion doesn't come in force to a race and then the breakaway riders come. Is that just going to be the way that the season plays out? Um, you know, I don't want to say yes. Uh, you know, Legion wasn't there in full force 
but I think a lot of other teams also were not there in full force. Like Best Buddies definitely had the most guys in the group. Um, so they uh, kind of controlled it. And I think we're looking for a breakaway. Like we saw Hernandez just attacking every chance he got. But yeah, I think he, even in other races where Legion doesn't show up, there's going to be a lot of people and a lot of teams that are still motivated to like leave their mark on the race in a way that isn't necessarily you know like trying to keep a breakaway from going the results pretty straightforward again tan not again just straight up tanner ward first internet bank comes away with the win in a two-man sprint against michael hernandez of best buddies and tom gibbons automatic racing comes in third in a really kind of hotly fought field sprint against Ty Magner from Legion of Los Angeles. Now, Ty was there alone, as far as I know, from Legion. So, like, he was doing the whole, you know, run and gun, figure it out as you go sort of thing and, you know, nearly comes away with it, which just shows you how deep that team is. If Ty, you know, somebody who you don't normally think of as one of the Legion go-to sprinters is capable of going toe-to-toe with Gibbons. And we all have to acknowledge Tom is probably one of the best sprinters in the country, you know, at that level of Justin and Corey, that Ty Magner also has to be considered right up there against it. You know, can, can these breakaways with Michael Hernandez, with Tanner Ward, can they survive in the heat? You know, we saw that it that it could happen here. But if the field gets bigger, if the teams get bigger, can it survive when we go into Boise? Yeah, that's that's the big question, right? Um, another thing is that there just really weren't that many teams to try and or that many teams to miss the break and then be interested in trying to send a guy across or trying to pull him back. But I mean, yeah, if you get the right combination of teams in the break and strength in the break, then anything's possible for sure. Even in Boise, I think it historically has been super difficult to get a break away just because, you know, it's two long straightaways connected by two very short ones. Um, and it's as flat as it gets. So, you know, as a breakaway, you're always in the view of the Peloton and, you know, there's 146 guys signed up for this weekend and that is probably the biggest group we've ever had. So there's a lot of people that would be interested in pulling a break back or, you know, getting started on their own. Did Project Echelon miss the boat this weekend? They had a lot of their A guys who were there. Monk Fury, I've been told, don't call him Brandon. He likes to be called Monk. You know, and uh, Stephen Vogel were there. They had a really great squad and they were aggressive. They were just not aggressive at the right time, apparently. So did they just miss the boat here? Yeah, it's definitely possible. You know, some days things just don't go your way. Like you said, they were aggressive, but just at the wrong times, they were aggressive when other people were also looking to be aggressive. Um, And I think maybe they're just getting a little worn down. You know, this was, what, like fourth or fifth weekend in a row for racing for them. So, and again, if it's, it's three weekends in a row of hot racing, uh, it's possible that they're just a little worn down looking for need a week off or two. Well, one person who clearly wasn't worn down is a name that has been kind of near the top, but has never really made it there. And it's one of your teammates. Why don't you tell us about Andrew? Yeah, uh, I guess. I mean, what's there to tell? 
he's got a confusing last name, but no, he's been, he's been really motivated. I think coming into 2021, um, he's super excited, super happy to be racing again. Uh, he's been working really, really hard and he's got, he's probably got one of the most underrated sprints in the field right now. He just hasn't quite had, you know, an ideal opportunity to show it off. Um, he got close this weekend, but you know, us as a team are hoping to, you know, put him in the right place at the right time. So he can like really show just kind of how nasty that sprint that he has actually is. Speaking of nasty Boise, obviously up next. I don't know if that's nasty or not, but, uh, I could see boys nasty being like a city name. Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) But uh, I'm not going to say it can't be, you know, Celine, you're heading up there, right? That's right. Yeah. And Alan, you'll be there. I was supposed to be up there, but this darn cold is going to keep me out. Um, it's a, it's obnoxious a little bit because this is now the sixth race in a row that I've had to kind of like forfeit my entry to. And none of it has been because of me sort of thing. And it's a little frustrating coming off 2020 to go two races. It's also with a concussion. I'm not going to race with a concussion. I'm sorry. I'm just going to sit that one out. And then there were some family things that kept me out of toad. And now this darn cold is going to keep me from Boise. If anything comes up between here and intelligentsia, I'm going to get really mad. And I don't think you want to know me when I'm mad. But Alan, are you the official spokesperson for this race? Because there are a lot of Alan Schroeder DMs in my Instagram feed nowadays. There's a lot of uh, plans that have been made around your name. Huh. Uh, that is would be surprising, or that's surprising for me to hear. But I think maybe kind of accidentally I have become or am like stepping into that. You know, they're not super active on social media, and but I want them to be just because... You know, it's it's a great race. Uh, Boise is a very like cycling friendly town, like we've talked about before. And honestly, the crowds around this race, like I would say, you know, maybe don't equal Tulsa, but definitely rival Tulsa, Tulsa. So people should know about it and like get excited for it. And I'm just trying to help that along as best I can. Maybe not a spokesperson, but like a, what do you call it? What's the word? An ambassador. You are the ambassador of Boise, Mr. Ambassador, maybe. <laughs> full circle. <laughs> yes, full circle. So so give give Celine and Wolfpack some advice for the pre-race coffee stop on Saturday morning. What are one or two good coffee shops downtown, downtown adjacent that some of the riders can go to that will rival Double Shot in Tulsa. Right. Uh, I mean, double shot. I love you, but the best coffee in Boise is going to be Necker coffee. And I think it not only rivals double shot, but will surpass it at least in quality of coffee. Uh, we unfortunately don't have anywhere around here that has like the space of double shot. Um, Necker is smaller. If you're looking for another good spot to stop, uh, Flying M is a Boise staple. It's been around since the 90s. Uh, It's an awesome vibe, really good coffee, and really close to kind of any of the rides that you would do from downtown Boise. So those are my two go-tos, Necker and Flying M. Is there anything happening Sunday that people should stick around for? You know, rides, barbecues, pool parties, down by the river. What's going on on Sunday? 
it's funny that you should ask that. Um, and this was not planned, I'll say. But so typically we would have a race Sunday. Unfortunately, after 2020, it's all kind of fallen through and nobody's picked it up. But we are planning on doing kind of a, a drop group ride, if you will, on Sunday. Uh, starting from Necker Coffee downtown at 10 o'clock, we'll do a Pierce Park Loop and then head up Bogus. So we're trying to get the word out to kind of as many teams as are, that are going to be here on Sunday. Maybe you're not going back until Monday. Uh, yeah, we've got a race, uh, not a race ride, but a group ride going Sunday morning, 10 a.m. And we'll we'll head up Bogus, which is kind of the best road for cycling we have here. I am confident, Celine, you'll be there. You're going to be leading the charge for the first mile and a half up the climb. I'll see if I can talk Wolfpack into sticking around, but we kind of had planned to go straight to Salt Lake City from there and um, hang out in an Airbnb and do a little bit of a mini camp leading into Salt Lake. But I'll see what I can do in terms of getting us to stick around for a couple more hours. (laughs) I mean, traffic on Sunday is going to be bad anyway. You might as well just save the drive for Monday morning, hang out Sunday. That's yeah, that's good. Because rush hour, rush hour in Boise is easy. That's what I've been told. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely easier than a lot of places. Let's talk about this first month here, and we'll start where we should start on the women's side about what we've kind of learned this year so far from Legion, Colavita, DNA, all of them. Like, Celine, being the women's correspondent here, what are some of the trends that you're starting to see? developing this year so far? Um, I'd say probably the most notable one is unless you are Kendall or Skylar on Legion, Maggie on DNA, or Harriet from Instafund, winning from a bunch sprint is highly unlikely. Um, And that's something that I think a lot of teams are realizing and um, strategically we need to uh, step up a little bit. Two teams that have so far adopted that approach, I think, are uh, Fearless Femmes with Matilda Reynolds and also Emily Ehrlich with CWA. Emily just doesn't like to be around people, I guess, and she just rides up the road by herself and does these monster solo breakaways. You know, even your own teammate, Melanie, she did a solo breakaway. Is that kind of been the dichotomy? You get solo breaks, field sprints? Nothing in between? Yeah, I think we need to find that that happy medium somewhere in there. Because um, with the bigger fields, solo breakaways are really hard to stick. Those solo breaks were kind of a perfect storm. Like, I mean, on the days that they happened. Um, but I don't know if those same scenarios will be possible at a USA Crits event. Yeah, well, obviously, nothing is stuck so far. Right, right. So, you know, Boise is a new time, a new place. It is not a super technical race, as Alan has pointed out. Uh, Zach, Allison, my coach, had told me that you basically never have to stop. It's a giant circle, almost. So you never have to stop pedaling. I want to talk about this thing that nobody knows has been going through my mind, because my mind is like a steel trap. And it's these tweets that I've almost sent out, that in the time frame that I almost sent them out, I would have not necessarily regretted it, but it would have been almost like prophetic. So right before nationals, right after Tulsa Tough, I want I had this tweet ready to go like, where is Elevate Webplex? Where, where are they? Why haven't they been any of the results? Next thing up, 
Sam Pacetti, Eric Young come over the top, almost winning it, getting second and third. The next week, I was just like, huh, whatever happened to First Internet Bank? I haven't heard anything about that team. Tanner Ward surprises me. All of a sudden comes out with a win at Sonny King. So I'm just going to actually say this one, which is the one that's in my mind right now, going into what is it, what is ostensibly their hometown race, which is Team Cliff Bar. Team Cliff Bar has not been where we all had kind of anticipated them being in the results for Tulsa or for Pro Crit Nats. They've just been with Connor just a little bit off the podium. And, you know, for a team that we had kind of hoped coming into this season would have this dominating, throwing bombs up the road late, breaking up the Legion attack and the Legion train, that just hasn't been the case. Is this the week that Cliff Bar reminds me that I should just keep my mouth shut and performs, Alan? Oh, man, that that's a that's a good question. I think if Pete Morris is here, then yes, uh, I can tell you. That dude, I mean, this isn't his hometown, but like he's probably as much of a hometown hero as it gets in Boise. Uh, as a quick backstory, when I first was getting into cycling and like I actually stumbled upon the Boise crit one summer night. Yeah, people were just, just like loved Pete because he was super attacking. He had that long blonde hair flowing out of his helmet and they started calling him Thor. Um, so I think, yeah, this has become a bit of their like hometown race. And I hope that, you know, they get pretty hyped up for it every year and yeah that this year won't be any different for them and they'll come out and you know just throw some long bombs legion we have to admit because it's not like very controversial legion is legit no doubt in my mind they are probably one of the best teams in the country right now if not the best team in the country they have it dialed in and they are ready to go can they be beat this weekend or at any race that approximates a Boise twilight? I want to say yes. Uh, you know, the whole Tulsa weekend, they had their, you know, their train dialed. Those courses are fairly technical, narrow roads. So it makes it really hard for a team to come up next to them and really ride with them. Boise is not the case. It's super wide open. Like you said, the turns, you pretty much never have to stop pedaling. You're never touching your brakes. So if ever there was a course where you could get a team to just go shoulder to shoulder with them and drag race the last five laps, um, it would be this race. You know, there's a, there's a lot of different teams that I think have that in their mind that they want to try and drag race against them, prove that they have the strength. I would think that, you know, Best Buddies is keeping it going. They've just been getting better and better each week. So maybe this week in Boise will be finally when they can put it together and get someone across the line first. We talked about the individual stars on the women's side, you know, just because we have to. I mean, there are such these such standout stars like Skylar and Kendall and Maggie. On the men's side, we've seen the Justins and the Corys, obviously. We also have this cadre of guys who are coming up who are finding their way to the podium, like Clever Martinez from Rocklands, uh, Danny Estevez, the man who changed nothing, uh, you know, the national road and crit champion for the amateurs. You know, you've got a name here, Alan, that you put into the show notes, Hugo Scala Jr. What's going on there? I mean, the kid's just solid. You know, he's, has he been outside of like the top five or the top 10 in any crit he's done this year? Uh, I mean, I know in Tulsa, he was up there every single race. Um, 
and Sunny King, he was there attacking, trying to get breakaways to go. Uh, yeah, he's just super impressive. You know, maybe he hasn't quite reached the podium level, but he is still a Devo guy. And yeah, I think he's maybe a subtopper uh, star, a star of the subtoppers. Okay, you gotta you gotta explain when you call the Gateway Devo rider Hugo Scala Jr. a subtopper. Not everybody listens to the media pit. Not everybody is as dialed in on the uh, the wonderful world of cross racing as as we are. What is a subtopper? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you've got your Justin Williams, your Corey Williams, uh, your Tyler Williams. Those are your toppers, right? Those are the guys that they cross the line first and everyone is like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. They're very fast. Um, but then you have the guys really kind of a lot of these guys that are just below they're always there or thereabouts they're always hunting out those podiums they're just like a little bit below the topper guys and those are your sub toppers and then obviously below that are the middlers yeah and then you have people like me who you know are in the race i can hang on but you know i'm maybe i go off the front for a few laps but i'm really just more riding the pack riding the wave middlers so Hugo Scala, you know, one of the few, I think I counted three, three guys total who ended up in the top 25 at amateur crit nationals, but also raced the pro version of nationals. So it wasn't as big of a crossover as some people might have anticipated, but Hugo was definitely one of those guys. I like this coming week because it's very simple. It's Boise. That's it. No attention needs to be directed elsewhere. The live stream will start on Saturday. Everybody knows what to do, where to do it. There's no competing races. There's no Toad, Harlem, and Critnats. There's nothing like that. You know, what, if anything, Celine, parting thoughts do you have for what's coming up with Boise on the women's side? Somebody to look for, something to look for you know, anything that might be unexpected. There's definitely some things in the works in the women's Peloton. No one wants to have a repeat of pretty much every single race, every single time. So I think some people are going to try some unexpected things and try to shake things up a little bit and um, step up their game and yeah, just try to have a different result. Are we going to see any kind of cartelization where two, three teams come together to negate the powerhouses? Potentially. I think that would probably be the most effective solution, but uh, we'll just have to see what happens. Uh, Julie Kalitza, your teammate, is going into the night uh, at Boise with the lap leaders jersey. Is that a priority for you guys to keep that? In terms of priorities, it, it's up there now because it is cool to just have that jersey and it suits her really well. Um, but I think it will probably just naturally keep happening I would think because that's just her riding style she really likes to be up there and be aggressive and launch attacks and just be at the front so I don't see it that changing anytime soon hopefully (laughs) Alan other than team Cliff Bar you know proving Rob Kelly wrong which is something that they should do and I would really enjoy that they do and and make me shut up what can we expect on the men's side Oh man, you know, there there's honestly too many teams that are fast, too many teams that are motivated that I'm even going to try and guess what's going to happen on the men's side. Like you can guarantee that Legion's going to be there, you can guarantee that Best Buddies is going to be there, but from there, um you know, I will plug CS Velo. Uh 
as you know, if we're looking at the team overall for USA crits, Legion is obviously way up high, but then automatic, um, best buddies, us and butcher box are all very close together. So I think a race within a race, you're going to see a lot of fighting for those, those team overall points between us, butcher box and lead or uh, automatic 104 degrees on Saturday night. It's going to be hot both action wise and temperature wise. Alan, Celine, thank you so much for joining us again this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the show. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium Network of Shows. Go to WideAnglePodium.com to find out more and become a subscriber and help support this content creator-owned effort. The Boise Twilight Crit live stream will be up on Saturday night. Join us, watch it, find out what happens in real time, and then we'll be back next week to break down all the details of what happens at Boise and to lay the groundwork for what's going to happen at Salt Lake City and Intelligentsia Cup, which are just right around the corner. So join us here again next week for more stories from our Criterium Nation. Dear cycling friends, we accept the fact that we have created the premier gravel and road racing podcast, and we don't think you're crazy to ask us who we think we are. You see us as you want to see us, in the simplest terms, in the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each one of us is a hobby blogger, a gravel pro, and a curious newbie. And you can find us on the Wide Angle Podium Network. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours the Grodio Podcast.